0: Sometimes I laugh with God about how you can't stop me. I'm as dark as angel proudly,
1: but He still got me. Yeah, I'm getting mine, but still I bet alive. Then I set aside to make sure that my people get in by. Brunch with some guitar royals, and my cup is all oil. You know it's real when you're to take the fall for you. All loyal, so you keep egging me on, and we gon' have to crack your shell just to prove to you you ain't hard boiled. Mm. Last night I tried some raw oysters. Man, that boy growing up quick. That boy know you did All right, we're flying with the
0: corners in this episode of the Back Judge Podcast. It's once again myself and Lee Murray. Sands, Tommy Murray slacking a little bit on that tape, I guess. Too much going on at uh, Oakland to, to you know really make some time for these draft players, I guess. Tommy's but, hey. always
1: been a fan of extracurricular activities. What can we say?
0: <laughs> but, uh, but we're really ready to break down this class. It was uh, nice to... At least, still definitely a few more guys we want to get a look at on tape. But uh, from a standpoint of just getting a nice grasp of who we think can be first-round players in this draft and figuring out more pieces to that mock draft puzzle, uh, it was really good to just get some tape work in on these guys. And overall, Lee, just of the seven dudes that we did, um, again, that was Jeff Okuda, Jeff Gladney, CJ Henderson, Christian Fulton, uh, Damon Arnett jalen johnson and uh noah ig uh what was uh, what was your uh overall impression on just the corners as a whole
1: first of all i gotta say that i i love the noah ig abbreviation i think it's <laughs> it's very fit no disrespect to the man noah but i can't uh that last name it's a mouthful to say the least um i think all in all did you ask me how i'd rank it well just as the class like how did you feel about them um, I feel like it's an interesting class, and you know, comparatively to the recent classes, um, I'm not sure where to rank it necessarily. I just think that this is a class that, and, and tell me if you disagree, because I'm genuinely interested, there's just a lot of question marks with this class, and it's not even a, necessarily a negative. Um, just across the board, I feel like there are a lot of players that have a lot of potential um, in certain areas, but you don't know how confident you are and necessarily determining evaluation on them uh, and where you would take them. And then there are some players where you see them be extremely thorough in pass coverage, but yet they can't make seemingly basic tackles or are very aggressive in making tackles all over the field but laps- have constant lapses in coverage. So it was definitely an interesting class to uh, to observe. But um, but I think there's 100% I think a few all-pro players are going to come out of this cornerback class. <clears throat> Yeah, I am
0: somewhat in agreement with you there. Other than Okuda, mm-hmm. I felt that each uh, corner that we looked at and then also just a few others that I had, had a light tape work done on, that there was at least one kind of big box that they didn't check. Yeah. And it's just going to be interesting to see, and I think I have an idea of this, but it'll be interesting to see what t- teams in the NFL, what one of those boxes are going to matter more. Uh, in terms of where they're going to rank a guy, where if a certain guy is lacking in, you know, maybe ball production, but he has better ability with, you know, man coverage or whatever, where where are these teams going to peg each of these players based on where their deficiencies are? Um, And it's interesting, too, because there's a lot of guys with a lot of experience and then some guys who have less experience, but maybe the ceiling is higher as well. So uh, let's kind of get into it. Lee, where did you go one through seven with this, or seven guys that we went through?
1: Um, it was really interesting, but I just think that to preface the ranking, um, I wanna I wanna go with an all things considered ranking here. This is not a one through seven of simply who I think the best seven players are. It's all things considered, um, potential draftability, kind of just as a GM, um, because there are you know different things I liked about different players and. Maybe the way, the, thing, the way I value things stack up differently to you know, other scouts, GMs, etc. But uh, the way I would roll with it would be Akuda coming in at 1. Uh, Jeff Gladney from TCU coming in at 2. I had Damon Arnett from Ohio State as the third best corner in the draft. Jalen Johnson from Utah as the fourth. Mm. Christian Fulton as the fifth. AJ Terrell as the sixth. And CJ Henderson as the seventh. Or sorry, no, we didn't do AJ Terrell. That was a, that was a, a mishmashed ranking. I had <laughs> sorry, I had Fulton, and then I would have had Ter- or uh, Henderson at six, and then Noah I at seven.
0: Um, for that's pretty pretty close to what I did. So <laughs> I actually for for I gave mine away earlier when I just listed the dudes straight up. But I had Henderson and Fulton flip with Arnett and Jalen Johnson. Um, I but, uh, agree with you, number one and number two, Okuda and Gladney, and I think we can maybe start there with, with Jeff Gladney and talking about him as, as a prospect, and I'm not surprised that we both have him above uh, the other two who get named maybe before him in mocks with Henderson and Fulton. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, Gladney, and I hate doing this because, and I've, I've hated doing, you know, I've Sorry, I've made derogatory remarks against maybe draft guys who compare these maybe middle, more so middle prospects to these elite NFL players. But to mm-hmm. me, Gladney reminds me a lot of Tre'Davious White, and also in a class, I think he, his maybe his draft day story and all, overall NFL story will compare a lot to Tre'Davious White. Where you're in a class with a high elite level Ohio State guy like Marshawn Lattimore, and then you know a guy like Marlon Humphrey goes before him, maybe a little more flashy you know, maybe a little more physically uh, gifted in terms of a combine or something like that. But when it comes down to just a a pure football player and a guy who's just going to get his hand on the football and and make a lot of plays for you, like just like, uh, you know, Tredavious did at at, uh, LSU, you have a guy like Gladney who's, who's making a lot of the same plays at TCU and also has a lot of the same physical characteristics and play style that, that Tredavious White has. And I think overall, in the end, he will be of a higher value player than maybe these guys like Henderson or Fulton, where it looks really good on tape and, and the fluidity and, and the coverage skills and just overall athleticism is much higher than, than that of Jeff Gladney. I just like Jeff Gladney's overall upside as just a pure football player who played a lot of football at TCU and a lot of good football.
1: Yeah, uh, couldn't agree with you more, Klopp. I think in terms of, uh, it's not by a long shot, but the height-to-wingspan ratio, Jeff Gladney has the best height-to-wingspan ratio out of anyone in this class outside of Okuda. Um, and I just think that Jeff Gladney is a guy who gets after it. That's why I ultimately put him above the Christian Fultons and C.J. Hendersons of the class is because the, the 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 fine line I drew between Jeff Gladney and, and Fulton and Henderson was Gladney was... Willing to put his face mask in the in the dirt, willing to put his face mask in the mess of things, um, get aggressive, get gritty, uh, get angry, get mean, as 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 Rip Torn says in Dodgeball, and that's what you kind of need out of a DB, uh, you know, in in college and obviously in the NFL too. And you know, I understand that a lot of the scouts and the you know mock draft analysts, they give coverage, uh, they give coverage a much more. They emphasize coverage as a as a as a more you know reputable NFL trait, and I that makes sense to me. But you still have to be able to make tackles. You still, be, you still have to be able to will, to be willing to get physical, and to to make plays behind the line of scrimmage, and that's why Jeff Gladney kind of stuck out to me. And another thing I will say about Jeff Gladney that stuck out to me was he played the second half of the Oklahoma game. I think he was suspended for the first half. I'm not sure why. Um, I should probably look into that, but. That defense rallied in the second half, man, and I don't know if he was a captain, uh, but he came in and they were really clicking on all cylinders, and you noticed a clear, dif- a clear difference between the, the TCU defense in the first half and the second half after Jeff Gladney was on the field. So I think he's definitely an impact player who 100%, I would say, has first-round value. Yeah I agree and
0: I mean just to get on his some you know minuses real quick for Gladney yeah, I did feel that he had his struggles with bigger receivers uh, in the Texas game Colin Johnson. I, and this is not to say that he got dominated. He had his fair amount of wins against uh, mm-hmm. Colin Johnson as well um, but there's just moments and it's not even that it's his fault. Sometimes it's just overall with his size, he he has some issues with with bigger receivers, especially when they go over the middle. Same with Mims. Uh, Had some catches over the middle against him as well. So, and and, uh, in terms of, you know, he like I said, he makes a lot of plays on the ball, but a lot of those comes from risks that he takes when he's in zone coverage. And so sometimes, I kind of had this as a plus minus, Um, you know, there were some plays in zone where where he, you know, blew some coverages and allowed a a big player to, just because he was trying to bait something going the other way. So I think just maybe figuring out for him when he's going to take those risks and, and being smarter with that is going to be a key. But then again, you know, there's a lot of times when he you know, takes a risk in his own and gets a pass deflection or, or something like that as well. So um, let's go to Henderson and Fulton and Arnett and Jalen Johnson because I probably went a little more chalk here as I have Henderson and Fulton above those two players, uh, whereas you had them flipped. Mm-hmm. Uh for me, it just comes from. I think that this class for for us, and especially I mean, just for myself going forward, is going to be an interesting case study in terms of like pure coverage and and how they do in the NFL compared to these other guys who I think maybe are a little more well-rounded. Because when it comes to just man on man pure coverage, athleticism, fluidity, you know everything that you want in in the physical form of a corner, Henderson and Fulton check the boxes, right? They're they're six foot mm-hmm. guys. They're you know, Fulton, I loved him in coverage. He's e- he's easy athletic. I it Just everything yeah. he does very, looks very easy. Um, you know, he doesn't panic and press coverage. And he has decent ball skills as well. With Henderson, again, elite speed and athleticism. Uh, brought a lot in the Blitz game as well, I noticed. He also has, a, you know, a good amount of swagger and confidence, which you need for the cornerback position. Um, but some other things with them that are concerning, I mean, with Henderson – the press technique, I thought, was a little bit iffy and relies a little bit more on athleticism, uh, which isn't surprising for a guy that runs a 4-3. But at the same time, uh, some you know veterans, NFL veterans might take advantage of that. And then with Henderson, uh, he gets a lot of knocks for his tackling, which is fair. But for me, it seems like a form issue rather than an effort issue. Um, I mean, there is some of that effort stuff. And you kind of can find it in any corners game almost. Um, but I mean, the form is, is pretty brutal. But with Fulton, too, it was really kind of a lackadaisical approach to the game, not willing to involve himself in plays that don't absolutely need him to. Uh, and, and there was, you know, one example in every single game that I watched with Fulton where I was, I was pretty disgusted by his effort in terms of tackling. Um, also, you know, Henderson, to me, I have higher than Fulton just because of the consistent production at Florida. Um, you know, was started for three years for them, whereas Fulton, you know, has kind of a rocky, you know, History as a college football player until last year he had a a drug test issue where he tried to use someone else's test in two thousand and seventeen uh, so that got him suspended for a full season had some injury mm-hmm. issues and really only came on as a you know a player in his in this last season with lSU, which was you know one of the better college football seasons for a team at any point in history so that was, that was kind of a concern for me with Fulton. So uh, what did you just overall, for those two players, why, why, don't, why did you, I guess, to maybe bring Arnett and Johnson into this conversation, why did you have those two guys ahead of them?
1: I think those guys are more well-rounded, and I take well-rounded players over one-dimensional players every single time, ten times out of ten. Even, um, even at a position like corner
0: where the main, we'll say, you know probably 80% of the time the main responsibility is coverage?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think mm-hmm. it's a matter of fit. Sometimes, and I don't, and I think that the conversation would be different if, if guys like Arnett and Johnson couldn't cover. Um, these are guys that both can cover. Uh, Arnett is admittedly more of a 2 than a 1, but I think Arnett is a high-level 2 who started a lot of games, um, was a leader on that defense, obviously has some off-the-field issues with Ohio State, but still has enough raw talent, experience, and ability and technique to be, I think, a fringe first-round prospect. Um, and a, a guy that a team could fall in love with, and then with Jalen Johnson, you just you saw it with the big playability and the way that defense relied on him, um, mm-hmm. the ability in man-to-man, uh, the sheer athleticism. A guy like Jalen Johnson, who's six foot one ninety-three, but you see C.J. Henderson is nearly six one two oh five, and Jalen Johnson, you swear Jalen Johnson looks bigger on tape. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree I just, with that you know mm-hmm. I just don't know why, and I just like that. I like guys that look bigger on tape. I like guys that fill out. With Fulton and Henderson, both of them, I will. I like that the similarities in their games make it easy for me to kind of compare them. Because Fulton and Henderson very similarly are easy athletic, like you said. Um, with Fulton, the seventy-two inch wingspan does 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 worry me. All these mm-hmm. guys we reviewed, even Arnett, seventy-four and a half; Henderson, seventy-six; Acuña, 75 a half; Gladney, seventy-five and a half; Noah I, seventy-five; Jalen Johnson, seventy-five. You know, and then you see Fulton was seventy-two when he's six feet. That I guess that's a tiny bit of a you know raised a little bit of a cause for concern, um, mm-hmm. and then the inability to to be physical, the inability to tackle the, yeah. the the lack of aggressiveness and almost the shying away from contact from these guys that just made me um, just made me it made me frustrated watching the tape. I just thought that if these guys had more complete games, they're in that conversation with Okuda. They're right there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But but ultimately just kind of soft play on the outside, and they relied on the dogs on the inside and the safeties to kind of clean up for them, and and they did for the most part in their respective places. So I think it's definitely going to be interesting, like you said, with the valuation of coverage, but I think Arnett and Johnson, where you might take a tiny bit of a lick in terms of fluidity and straight ability to cover, you don't have to teach aggressiveness, you don't have to teach the chip, you don't have to to teach the, the want to. Um. In, in 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 need to be physical and, and know how to flip the switch, which I think is just a necessity on the NFL level.
0: Yeah. So personally, with Jalen Johnson and Arnett, for me, I had them both as as just solid second round picks. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnson, again, like like you mentioned, just the desired length, um, weight, and speed for for the position, and a really good interception volume, uh, a big play. Uh, you know waiting to happen for at the mm-hmm. corner position, which is, was great to see. And usually those are things that do translate. Guys who get picks in college tend to get picks in the NFL, and the same goes the other way. Guys who don't get picks in college tend to not get picks as much as in the NFL. Um, I thought that, though, with Johnson, sometimes on deep routes, I just saw him, he just wasn't there all the way. Um, in, against USC, too, he gets beat on beat on a deep route, and he just falls down at the end of it. So I didn't mm-hmm. think that, uh, that athleticism was kind of there for the entire route. And I saw, you know, even that play against Washington where he knocks the ball away, he's still – his back is to the quarterback. I never really saw a great example of him running down the field, turning his head, and then knocking the ball away. Um, not to say it's not there, but just in the three games that I watched, I, I saw that as a trend. Um, and I thought he was just a little bit grabby uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the press coverage. He, you know, would make the initial – um shot with his hands, but then he wouldn't kind of make up for it with his footwork and, and would continue grabbing beyond five yards so that was just a concern for me in and in a league that calls so many defensive holdings was a little concerned with that and then for our net, uh he's super physical at the catch point, which i loved yeah um you know he's always bothering receivers as they're trying to you know make plays in the ball um but at the end of the day too, you go to the combine he ran a four five six uh, i looked. Back. I went through Mock Draftable, went through my NFL and I looked at every single corner drafted until about 2002 in the first round, um, and no one had run slower or at the same speed as a four, five, six. The slowest guy was Mike Hughes, who ran a four, five, three. So, in terms of you know first round value in the NFL, I don't really think the I, I want to revise from from the last podcast. I said that there was what a 70% chance he went around 1 said 60 60 yeah i'm i'm putting that i'm going to drop that down to like maybe a 20% chance after i kind of did that research i just think with his overall speed teams are going to be shied away from that and you i thought you know against indiana he had an awesome game him and okuda dominated the indiana game but the big plays that he made he was in zone and making great reactions but i just wonder about that lack of speed may Turn into a lack of versatility at the next level, and at the end of the day, too, not as not as much you know ball production as you would like to see. So, um, mm-hmm. that's kind of what pushed those guys down into round two for me. But like a, a guy like Jalen Johnson to me, Lee could be a great Okuda alternative for yeah. for a team at the top of the draft that has a corner need, but maybe Okuda doesn't fall, or mm-hmm. maybe Okuda gets passed on for for another need to grab a guy like Jalen Johnson at, at the top half of the second round. I think would be a great substitute. You know, you're not getting. And I guess let's just to talk about Okuda for a minute, because we glazed over him a little bit. For me, he just checked all the boxes: physical in the run game, great in man coverage. You know, played in the Big Ten for three years, and and he didn't, he never allowed more than 50 yards in, in a single game uh, for any of the receivers that he was covering. So just a consistent uh, baller. He does, you know, lack maybe like the four-three speed that you want to see in like a top-10 corner. He ran a 4.48 which is still you know, plenty fast to be a starting NFL corner, but in, in terms of like the guys like Marshawn Lattimore or Denzel Ward who have come from Ohio State and ran that, that elite speed, he doesn't quite have that top-end top 4-3 top speed, but um, for, for me, just was a, very much an all-around player who I can see being consistent Pro Bowler in the NFL.
1: Yeah, nothing to disagree with there. I love free half a. Um, Definitely best traits, most projectable, top-ten talent above average tackler especially considering i would say if you only consider cornerbacks he's a good tackler um definitely you know sticky and man was relied on time and time again in man coverage and and, and fit the bill um you see the occasional mental lapses but nothing that would that would drag him out of the top 10 i think that this is a guy who ton of production but i want to open up the conversation of you know the hard conversation of is he worth the third pick in the draft? You know if you're not fielding offers um, from any other teams and you're looking up and down the roster and you have guys like Isaiah Simmons and Derek Brown on the board. Um, I know corners a need, but there are people out there like you, Klepp, who, if you throw the board out the window, just making an argument about the Detroit Lions roster, would would venture to say that. You know the interior defensive line is more of a hole than the secondary or the cornerbacks. So where does that leave the conversation? Well, how much better does Jeff Okuda have to be? How much better of a prospect does Jeff Okuda have to be than Derrick Brown in order for the Lions to say, you know what? Hey, we may know that we need this interior defensive line help, but this guy at corner is so good, and although that's a secondary need, we're going to draft this guy to bolster our our cornerbacking core that much. You know, I, is that the move that they're going to make? I, I just don't. I don't necessarily know.
0: Yeah, and I don't. I don't want to. It would be hard for me to say too. Um, I mean, I thought, especially too, with you know the lack of all twenty-two tape for these corners to watch. It's sometimes yeah. really difficult to say for certain. Whereas a guy like Derek Brown, like I can go find out everything I want to pretty much find out mm-hmm. about his game. Um, yeah, it's it's tough to say because it's like. You know, while I guess a guy like Derek Brown does affect every single play uh, that he's on, whereas a guy like Okuda, it's like you can avoid corners and stuff like that, you know, would maybe the big playability that Okuda brings outweigh, you know, a big playability of a guy like Derek Brown who, uh, you know, it's a, it's a super hard to say. And, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think, you know, when you're in the draft, you've got to take the best player. Um, mm-hmm. And so wherever that is on the board for for Detroit, I think that's what you end up doing, even if it isn't that much of a a drop off. I think overall you got to just draft talent, and you you don't know. You you just it's the NFL is too unpredictable in that sort of sense. So, but it's it's definitely an interesting conversation that I, mean, you, I think we'll have overall.
1: Have you watched enough film on all the players to kind of know? what direction you would go in personally at three I, if you weren't fielding any offers?
0: Um, I haven't watched Simmons enough okay. yet. So that, I think I'll, yeah. I'll kind of wait until I see that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, I think Okuda's a better player than Derek Brown. Yeah. Overall, I, I do, uh, just in terms of – especially when you think of, like, defensive – the value of a, of a lockdown corner compared to a defensive tackle. I just think it's, it's a passing league. Mm-hmm. and then the more corners you have the better um but then at the same time the the Detroit Lions defense looks really weak on the interior so yeah um absolutely right I mean if if you know we're, and and to me it's like I doubt that they take a player like Isaiah Simmons just because of the draft capital that they've invested in, into the linebacker position um even though I may disagree with
1: the only pushback I you know, would have to the is, yeah, is how I, versatile Simmons is.
0: I know, I know, I agree. Which, which I think you know Patricia would would love, as he tends to like guys who are versatile. But mm-hmm. um, at the same time, it's it is another linebacker. You know. Yeah. And and that room is is pretty full right now, and I think unfortunately for fans like myself, they have a lot of guys that they like there. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's hard to say. But let's uh, let's jump over to Noah Igg. Because oh, yeah. the, he, the you know, he's, he's a cat that I've, you know, has even popped up at the end of some first round mocks, and for me, I have him as a day three de- developmental player. Wow. Um,
1: I, I have him third round. That was my yeah. Was I, I kind of have him
0: as a, as a fourth rounder type of guy. Yeah. Um, just I think that you know I compare I have I kind of compare him to Nevin Lawson. Uh, a smaller, scrappy player who can more than hold their their, their own in the league, you know, athletically, um, but no no uh, evidence of, of ball skills or ball production mm-hmm. at Auburn uh, is a converted wide receiver, so very raw at the position. Yeah. Um, you know, for just to kind of maybe shed some light on what I mean by a lack of instincts. I watched. Did you watch the Bama game?
1: Uh, no, I watched so, uh, LSU, Florida, and Minnesota. If you,
0: you know, if you watch the Bama game, he gets beat for for a touchdown on a wheel route, mm-hmm. and the ball is on the right hash, and he, the receiver he's in man against is lined up on the numbers to the field side, and okay. he bites on the flat r- part of the wheel route, and it's just like for a corner, it's like you got to recognize that hey, they're probably not going to throw a five yard flat route yeah. from the opposite hash, yeah, like they're probably just not going to do that. Because that's a pick waiting to happen, mm-hmm. but he bites on it and the receiver turns upfield and it's a touchdown on a wheel yep. route, right? So it's just a clear, clear lack of instincts that can get him in trouble in the NFL. And again, just a really, just a you know stocky, short, stocky build that I don't think will translate into you know a yeah. lot of you know pass breakups or interceptions or or anything like that so no
1: clue why um, this guy's sneaking into the first round yeah respect no clue
0: no yeah i completely agree and maybe it's just because the team's fallen in love with him and he does have really good you know athletic testing numbers in terms of you know the vertical and the broad jump and and the 40 time but that's that's kind of about it with him
1: i will say we did see guys like you know Amani Oyuwarie last year sneak into like the early second round in some mocks and then, you know, and then go in the fifth, you know, yeah. yeah, so.
0: But um, let's turn this that into the conversation to, to Parnell Motley. And That's, I told you before the podcast that Parnell Motley is the type of player who makes me just doubt the draft as a whole or even maybe just doubt what I'm seeing because I watch Baylor, I watch Texas Tech, and I watch LSU – and uh, he is extremely good at being yeah. a cornerback, right? And it's like yeah. I, I see him as being way better than Noah Ig, yet yep. for some reason Noah Ig is jumping up into you know, the, the day round. two yeah. conversation where it's yeah. like Parnell Motley doesn't get a combine invite from people who are scouting these players to see who they want to see at the combine, and it's not like he, he's at Oklahoma here. It's not like he's BJ Blunt at McNeese yep. State, right? And even, you know, it's even funny too, like Oklahoma, uh, like he comes off the field sometimes. Like I'm, I'm <laughs> having to watch Parnell Motley <laughs> through Kenneth Murray and, and Texas Tech. He's playing, 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 playing. And in the second quarter, for some reason, he's just not on the field and they go on a touchdown drive. Yep. And it's like, and then, you know, the Baylor game, Mims scores two touchdowns. And then they finally just put Molly on realized. an island, and yeah. he and he his impact is negligible, completely minimized. Yeah, so it's like what is Oklahoma doing, right? And then all the big plays in the in the LSU game, you know, I I, I put in quotation marks on my notes, playoff Parnell, because <laughs> because none of the big plays that are happening are are at all his fault, yeah. and so it's just. You know, he does, you know, look a little slight on film just in terms of his overall build. His legs look a little skinny. No, Sometimes yeah. he kind of looks a little hunched over and a little bit of a, t- a tight upper body. But He's
1: not a freak. He's not the strongest guy out no. there. He's not the fastest guy out there. His technique But again, 4/5 is, away, is man. fine.
0: Yeah, exactly. If so you it's look like at a 4/5. And yeah. the
1: resume. Just look at the resume, right? Um, I think he's naturally coordinated. I think he has natural athletic ability and coordination, kind of like backyard baller ability. I think that's there. You know, like I think he's a good football player. He, talk about a guy similar to, you know, Gladney, and we're harping on these big 12 corners all of a sudden, where he'll go in there and make a tackle, man. Absolutely. He may... The guy may, you know, truck him a little bit and he'll hang on to those legs. And, and, and the guy may get an extra two and a half yards, but he's coming down, you know. And he's not, willing. It's not going to be a CJ uh, whiff, Olay, you know, no. CJ Olay. So, you know, that's why I almost feel like it's just the fact that he's not a freak and he's so clearly just like a four or five guy with really good technique that.
0: And maybe just wasn't on the radar going yeah. into the season. Yeah. But. I mean, I I look at him overall, and I look at his body of work, and I don't understand how he's not a day two pick like a lock. Uh, And and you go on NFL.com, they don't have him as a prospect from Oklahoma. You go on the draft network, they don't even have a player report for him, and it's just super, super confusing. And if you weren't such a college football guy or an Oklahoma fan or if you didn't kind of see him popping up watching Gallimore tape, it's like this guy would have been totally lost into the spreadsheets for me. Into
1: the ether, yeah. Well, that was like one of the first things I said. It was like, I was in my schizophrenic mirror room of, of watching yeah. Parnell <laughs> Molly and wondering what the hell was going on. Is it just? Why. Is this
0: just the Lee Murray hype echo just, chamber? Like, yeah, whatever, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and I wasn't even wondering. It's like, why is, like, not? And no one's talking about this guy whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Now. No. Like, like there was nowhere. Not
1: any rumblings? And you look at the, like I said in my article. Shout out my article.
0: Other than you a look, few errant tweets from PFF and Brett Coleman.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it. <laughs> You well. You look at the, the four playoff teams. I mean, you got Fulton from LSU. You've mm-hmm. got Okuda from Ohio State. You've got you know Terrell from, from Clemson. Clemson. Yep. And then you look at Oklahoma and and they got Motley. That's their guy. That's the guy who would fit that mold. And yeah, for seeing a guy like Noah, I with all due respect, I can see where the projectability is, but I think Parnell Motley has proven so so much in his in his past year that. Be hard to pass on him for, for a guy like Noah. Ai. Yeah,
0: so I don't know. It's just it's just again mm-hmm. a guy who makes me really just doubt the entire thing, and just at sometimes I wish that I could have all of the all twenty two and none of the chatter, Yep. and just you know lock you know just see what happens when you come exactly. out, and I feel like that's what a lot of NFL teams do. Um, but then mm-hmm. you know obviously part of the draft is projecting value as to where you can get a guy. You know what are yeah. you know would I take Parnell Motley in the second round? Yes, is the lack of chatter about him make me think I can get him in the third round or fourth round? Yeah, yeah. So like that's I think mm-hmm. you know that the the fine line that you have to walk where if you're an NFL GM like say you know we're the GM of a team and it's like I love this guy and the thought of another team drafting him you know, in the second round where I would have definitely taken him there is gonna make yeah. me vomit. Yeah. But then at the end of the day, like, you know, how long am I willing to sit and wait? It's 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 a tough it's totally. a tough game to play. I feel like, you know, for that kind of player though, you just have to set a floor where it's like, mm-hmm. all right, if this guy's still there at pick seventy five, I'm trading up to get him. You know? Or I think it, you have to
1: set a floor and you gotta set a ceiling. How high yeah. would I take this guy? Yep. Because it's because if draft day comes and the bullets are flying and I'm not quite sure I'd rather take him 15 spots too high or 20 spots too high than take another guy that and, and, then, and then kind of have that my heart sink after I send the card in taking the other guy because I don't know you know it was more of an impulse move. so
0: and I mean so I guess maybe just to, to put you on the spot here, both of us watched. A little bit of A.J. Terrell, and he's a guy you like. So in, in the Lee Murray mirror room,
1: mm-hmm.
0: just straight up, you can have either A.J. Terrell or Parnell Motley on your football team.
1: Um, See, this is such an interesting question because Parnell Motley is my boy, and he's proven. <laughs> and A.J. Terrell is a player who I saw so much upside. That's all I saw with AJ Terrell was upside. And I saw upside, and I don't mean like, oh, this guy's got upside. I mean like he, if AJ Terrell stayed at Clemson, we could be having an Okuda conversation about him next year. That I mean that type of upside. Like, I mean this guy is a couple years away from maybe being a bona fide number one. Um, and and that maybe speaks more to how I feel about AJ Terrell. Um, and I think that's a conversation about team, where if you're like the 49ers – I think AJ Terrell is very enticing because you can Mm -hmm. let him learn under Richard Sherman. By the time Richard Sherman retires, AJ Terrell is number one and
0: Salah there too.
1: Exactly. Um, So for that reason, I hate to do this, but I got to stay objective, and I can't. I'm in my emotions enough all the time. I I take AJ Terrell. I take Mm -hmm. AJ Terrell because of the upside, and because, and because um, you know he put it on tape with Clemson. You know. And not that Parnell Motley didn't, but I just think that there's the projectability there with A.J. Terrell. He was a, the four-star recruit, played, started from the beginning of his time, his time at Clemson, has a lot of meaningful reps, and I think you can see where the sieves in this game are and kind of improve upon them, whereas you have a guy like Motley where you can see him lock down Denzel Mims, but you aren't going to, you know, you're not changing that 4-5 or that 4-4-8 you know, four, four, eight or whatever it may be. Whatever I think it was a 4-5 from him. And you're not going to change the, you know, the uh, the the other you know in inabilities in this game that are causing him to be even if he was like a third round prospect that are causing him not to be in the conversation, in the same way that AJ Terrell is. So, I would take Terrell. But that conversation in in the Lee Murray mirror room is way different than it would be for a lot of other people. I think because I, I lean Terrell, but if you're looking at me right now and asking me like Motley or Fulton. <laughs> Yeah. I might take Motley, man. I might take Motley. I I can see why someone would take Fulton, but I can't say I would be true to myself for taking Fulton because if you, like you said, if you threw all the chatter out and just showed me the film, I would understand that Fulton was more fluid in coverage. But all around, and all things considered, I would say, man, Motley's more of the corner that I would want to take. He's more the guy that I would want because I don't think the lapses in his coverage are in, ir, irredeemable enough for... Christian Fulton's lapses in inability to make plays behind the line of scrimmage and in in, in in the box, uh, worth. Yeah, but, I
0: mean, man, wouldn't you love to see Parnell Motley end up on a team that already has a bona fide one? A team like New England with with Gilmore, oh, team absolutely. like the, like the Dolphins with Xavier Howard, or mm-hmm. you know, a team like the Saints with Marshawn Lattimore, just putting him opposite a bona fide number one guy and just letting Motley have at whoever you know is the number two receiver. Yep. I think. I mean. I think that that's kind of like a perfect fit for him, where he doesn't have to be the guy, but you know, can just just play ball.
1: It's so funny because the the player you're describing is a fringe first round, early second yes. round player. Yep. That's the player you're describing. Pick him in. Doesn't have to be the number one guy immediately, and and you can put him in at the two and be comfortable with him at the two. That's a fringe. That's what pe- teams are hoping C.J. Henderson can be. Except they're hoping that maybe hey we take him at fifteen we can groom him into be the one, and they're setting yeah. a bit of a higher ceiling. But that's where I'm so interested to see someone. If if friggin' me in my <laughs> in my girlfriend's room in Ann Arbor, if I can find Parnell Motley here, like this guy can't be available in the fourth round. There's yeah. no way. There's no way. With the position of cornerback, with the class this year, with all on Oklahoma, he's on not he's Oklahoma. not at
0: Southern, you know, Illinois University like Jeremy
1: Chin. Yeah, you got two first round prospects on that defense. You know, how many? And then you got Denzel Mims, first round prospect. You got Jalen Rager, first round prospect. You got friggin' the LSU game he played in. All these guys are watching this film, right? Like
0: Justin Jefferson, fringe first round, Jamar mm-hmm. Chase. You know, Jamar Chase first is going to be a top pick, 10 next, pick year. next year, probably. Yeah. So
1: Jamar and, Chase made AJ Terrell look like John Dolan.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, he hears
1: that.
0: <laughs> oh God. Yeah, man. Um, it's it's a it's a really interesting class. Um, I mean, you know, we didn't really get in the weeds on on Terrell. I see what you mean by upside with this film for sure and then against you know six one guy, four four two speed. Um, you know, but at the end of the day too, there's a lot of things that I, I thought, you know, needed to be cleaned up with him. Mm-hmm. I don't maybe if you go back and watch a little Terrell, I just thought his his press coverage technique was was really rough and he never yeah. seems to really get his hands on guys early on mm-hmm. in the route and then I saw him try and do it once and he completely just lunged and whiffed so yeah. Um, you know, that was kind of curious to me, especially with a guy like Venables coaching over there in, in Clemson. I just thought he could be a lot more physical um, of a corner early on in the route with for how big he is. But I'm definitely I think too, he definitely I mean, a lot to like stayed. there.
1: I think he definitely yeah. should have
0: stayed. But, I mean, dude, do you get a round one grade from the committee or something like that? Yeah. And just, you know, let's, let's go. Yeah, but, yeah totally. Um, let's, uh, anything else you want to say, parting words for this corner of corner group?
1: Um. No, I think. Uh, I think that's it. I guess I want to – I'll shoot you with an impromptu question. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're gambling money right now and you had to set a line, right, or you're Vegas, what would you set the line at, at cornerbacks taken in the first round?
0: Uh, my line would be just off the top of my head. Off the I top mean, of head, I, I'd yeah. love to maybe look at, like, at, at some history. But considering this class, I think I would go with a – for Vegas, I think I'd go with a five-and-a-half.
1: Really? Five maybe and a half?
0: Four and a half, five and a half, maybe. I think probably, yeah, I don't know. I think, because, dude, I think it's interesting because I think I think Fulton, Henderson, Gladney, and Okuda go round one. Okay. I, I would I would lock those guys in. And I think yeah. Terrell, between Terrell and, and, and Diggs.
1: Then you're at four and, and a half. And... Yeah. yeah. You're more at four. If four and a half. Four locks. Yeah. How likely is it that a fifth is drafted? I mean, I guess maybe five, five and a half. I would set it more at four. I think I'd do I, four and a half.
0: I, yeah, four and a half.
1: It, and this can kind of segue us into our next conversation, which is mm-hmm. drop, right?
0: Yep. Who Percentages a little, for a guy to drop out of the first round. Yeah,
1: we did a little segment last mm-hmm. episode on what what are the percent chances that someone gets taken in the first round who may not be expected to get taken in the first round, and now... We're going, sh- we're going to go play a little, little ping-pong here of, of, of w- what the percent chance is that someone will not get drafted in the first round who may be expected to get th- drafted in the first round is. And I'm going to send you over, Clark, with our first victim here. And here's a player who I think personally is most likely out of the high-profile players to drop out of the first round after watching film, and that's C.J. Henderson. W- what, would you, what would you set the percent chance at that he is going to drop it in the first round? 5%. Wow, you think he's that? I think he's. I think college. with the four-three speed, yeah,
0: um, he's pretty much a lock to go in the first round. Because I think a team will just be like, he has the speed, he has the athleticism that we're looking for. Um, again, too, uh, he gets knocked a lot for his physicality. I think, you know, you see him on blitzes and stuff. You know, rip a cornerback, or even just take a direct shot at the quarterback that is, you know, comes with plenty of force and. Yeah, I know, you know, there's going to be that clip of him against the Miami, was it the quarterback or the running back, just kind of yeah. rolling over. Um, you know, so I think the form is horrendous. And, uh, you know, there is a lack of interest of just, you know, sticking his face in there and wrapping it up. But him, instead of if Fulton, I have instances in all three games that I watched fully and then a few other ones that it's just like him not even attempting to get it, to get his nose dirty. Whereas Henderson, at least I see sometimes driving up towards the ball carrier. And yes, again the form is terrible, but at the end of the day, I think, you know, unlike you know you were saying, you'd rather have Arnett and Johnson as as a all around corner. I don't think the NFL thinks that way as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is probably a few GMs who would agree with you, but I think as a kind of an entire just you know think tank, the NFL, it's it's a coverage game. So. I, I think that there is. I mean, I five percent was kind of being generous. I I have Henderson as as a guy for me that is a first round lock. Yeah. Um, let me toss one to you here, uh, DeAndre Swift.
1: Percent chance he falls out of the first round. Yeah,
0: and I mean it can be you know a higher percentage, but I think he's a he's a fringe guy that we talk about.
1: But say, it seems
0: like there is a running back that goes every year.
1: I'd say eighty five percent. He falls out of the first round, and that's personal because I think. Uh, I, would rank De- I would rank DeAndre Swift as my fourth running back behind uh, Dobbins, Taylor, and Edwards, so think So what about that- any
0: of those running backs? Do you think one of those running backs goes round one?
1: Yeah, I definitely okay. do. I think one of them will go. I don't know which one. I think that it's a very interesting conversation. I think all of them offer different things, and, and I think Dobbins and Taylor, personally for me, and maybe we can throw Edward Tiller in there. are all much different players, but similarly effective in what they do and similarly valuable. So I think that one of them will definitely go. But I think that uh, in terms of Swift, I just think that he'll drop out because I think Edward Tiller has got more buzz than he has um, as a pass catching back, honestly, in the, in the course of events leading up to the draft. I know personally for me, he's jumped Swift in watching film, the minimal film that I have of these teams and running backs. Um, and then Joe Burrow comes out and says, out of all the players I've played with in my career of playing football, Edwards Hilaire is the most uh, is the best, right? He's the best football player I've ever played with. That's you know that's no small comment coming from Joe Burrow. I know it may not hold all the weight in the world in draft rooms, but pretty Joe Burrow's played with uh, played with some some really good players. So all
0: right, let me let um, me throw you maybe a more interesting <clears throat> one, a little more juicy one here. Yeah. Uh, Kenneth Murray.
1: It's so interesting you say that because I was watching Motley today and I and I was losing some love for Murray. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw this at 40%. I think there's a 40% chance that he could fall out in the first round um, because of his reckless play and because I think that it's become inevitable that Patrick Queen's the number one. The only reason I wouldn't put it at over 40 or over 50% and I think that ultimately I'd lean in, in favor of Kenneth Murray getting drafted in the first round is because I heard that he absolutely... He had a grand slam at the uh, in-person combine interviews, and that he was just like, at, like someone said that he was, you know, one of the best interviews they've had in their ten to fifteen years of working in the in the combine or whatever. So, uh, so I think that that ultimately you get that type of player um, off the field and with what he can do on the field, with how scarce I think depth is at linebacker. He's sitting there, anywhere from you know twenty-five to thirty-two. I, I have trouble seeing someone maybe not come up and take him.
0: You have another one on your head for me?
1: Um, yeah. Let me let me let me shoot one at you. Okay. What do you think the chances are that Grant Delpit drops out of the first round?
0: Oh, I think seventy-five percent. Okay. I mean, maybe even up to up to eighty-five. Yeah. Um, I was listening. Can I give just, you an alternative one? Okay, yeah. on,
1: go, go I mean, I was just listening Delpit. to Move the
0: Sticks. Yeah. I was listening to, to DJ and Bucky just talk about him and how uh, neither of them, and again, safety by far is the hardest one for us to scout mm-hmm. as a whole, just because of the lack of all twenty-two film. But both of them are just saying that um, they don't see anything really special with Delpit. Yeah, that there, there wasn't one thing that really like they thought that he could hang his hat on as a player. And then that, coupled with the issues of tackling, which is a much bigger problem for a safety rather than a cornerback, uh, was just having him fall out of the first for them. And you know they were saying a guy like Jeremy Chin, or mm-hmm. um, you know, could could even jump ahead of him. And they were kind of saying the same stuff about Xavier McKinney as well. That the, Interesting. The, that the kind of they were losing a little bit of love for him. So, um,
1: well, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say who goes first, Antoine Winfield. Jeremy Chin, or Grant Delpit?
0: Yeah. I mean, I could even throw a curveball into here, and uh, it was Davis from Cal. He's Ashton guy who, Davis, Ashton, really. Ashton Davis is a guy who I've been reading about that's been getting a ton of love. I think this safety class is really up in the air, um, and there isn't one guy that I would totally, like, I, I would say Winfield.
1: Mm
0: because Just because I think he has, you know, the injury stuff is there, but oh, in terms of ball production for his safety um, and, and just overall play uh, and, and being in the Big Ten, he has less question marks yeah. there. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly, Lee, if, if uh, McKinney, Chin, Davis, and um, Winfield all go before Delpit.
1: Hmm, interesting. So. Yeah, I wouldn't be that shocked. I couldn't, yeah, I, I wouldn't be, uh, I don't think I'd be that shocked, but but I don't know if I could see that happening. Just because of the hype surrounding I the, end of the year, I know, I yeah. know, I know. And then Let's maybe see. he's
0: the guy who just goes 15 again, where it's like it's a Cleo Farrell situation. Yeah. To, to a lesser degree, not top 10, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, do, you, do you have anyone else, or do you want to jump into these luxury picks?
1: Um, let's jump into the luxury picks. All
0: right, so this is going to be a first-round selections that a team is maybe adding strength on strength or just maybe ignoring some areas of need to, to take a, a player that they really like or just want to you know make their strength a, a super strength to their team. And I'll, I'll kick it off with the Baltimore Ravens taking a wide receiver at 28. Um, and, and any of the guys who maybe could fall after Ruggs, Judy, and Lamb. And, and I'm you know, pegging this as a luxury pick because they took uh, Marquise Brown, Marquise Hollywood Brown, in the first round last year. So it would be back-to-back years of taking a, a wide receiver in the first round. But I still think um, you know, that room in, in Baltimore has room for improvement and uh, maybe adding a guy of, of a bigger body. Um, to maybe be more of a possession receiver on the outside at, at 28 uh, could could be in the cards there for them.
1: Interesting. I'm going to stay with a team that was very successful last year and at the same position, and I'm going to say the San Francisco 49ers at 13 taking a receiver would be a luxury pick. Um, no problems with your offense last year. Very productive. Obviously, you could use a number one receiver, but I don't. I think that at this point in the draft, with the way that their roster shakes up, that they could – uh, find a lot more value elsewhere in terms of improving their team as a whole. Um, they lost DeForest Buckner, which is a pretty big part of their defense on the interior defensive line, and they've also had some problems at corner. Um, so I-, I think that going in the defensive direction as opposed to offensive would be the smart thing to do for the 49ers, and in taking a guy like CeeDee Lamb, although the eye candy would be nice to take, and you can get some production out of a out of a solid receiver, um, I think 13 would be a little rich for the Niners.
0: Well, can I? I want to counter you there, maybe just because of the situation that the 49ers are in, where mm-hmm. um, I do think that they have a need at wide receiver. Yes, I completely agree with you that there's other needs on the roster, and that um, uh, sorry, there's other mm-hmm. needs on the roster. Um, but we've we've referenced many times the dearth of picks that they have after thirty-one.
1: to well, receiver at thirty-one. Okay,
0: yeah but, yeah, but what I'm saying is I think if, if a guy like Judy, Lamb, or Ruggs is there at 13, and I think both of us can somewhat agree that you might be losing value at, at, at taking a receiver at 31 compared to what you could get in the second or third round where a lot of that receiver value is, mm-hmm. right? So, like, what's – you know, in terms of what's the value of taking a guy like, um, you know, Aiyuk maybe at 31 – when you can get a dude, can get dudes like, you know, Michael Pittman in the second and third round, you know, where does that really fit into that conversation?
1: I just am taking it more from the angle of address defense first and offense second. Mm -hmm. Um, And even with the way the class shakes up, I think I'd rather have, say, for instance, I'd rather have, you know, Javon Kinlaw and, uh, you know, LaVisca Chenault or Brandon Ayuk, like you said, than C.D. Lamb and you know Neville Gallimore or C.D. Lamb and um, you know some you know uh, full, I'd rather have I'd rather have uh, Kinlaw and in a receiver you can get at 31 than, than those guys and I I guess this could be I feel like Tommy would disagree with me like this is a bit of a kind of radical take but I just think that the Niners' offense was so efficient last year. And the way they ran the football was so efficient, and I know they lost Emmanuel Sanders, but I just don't think that bringing in a young, bona fide number one receiver would be the best way to pair with with things with Debo Samuel. And you also have guys like Jalen Hurd and Dante Pettis on the roster who are waiting to pop off, Um, and still you have to disperse targets to Kittle as well. So I just think the way that that offense works would be better to bolster the defense and continue to have the defense be a well-oiled machine. And let Shanahan handle the pieces he has on offense and, and build more at thirty one. That's well, kind of more where I'm coming from.
0: I'll take my, my second luxury pick to the pick right after the Niners and the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, mm. taking J.K. Dobbins at thirty two.
1: I I dissent that. I think that'd really? be a great. I think that'd be a great pick. Yeah.
0: Well, no, I, no. I'm saying I like it too. I like it as a pick. I'm just saying it would be um, a little bit of a luxury pick, right? Oh, really? To, Why so? Um, because you, you had an effective running game last year with Damian Williams. Uh, he, you know, arguably should have been the Super Bowl MVP over Mahomes, if not for maybe that one play to Tyreek Hill.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, it's like they haven't really missed a beat since Kareem Hunt left, even though Kareem Hunt was, was a great player for them. Um, so I think it's kind of – and Kareem Hunt, you know, hasn't exactly been super successful since leaving the Chiefs, whether that yeah. be for off-the-field reasons or, or be just be being on the Browns. But um, – so, and I think that they're you know they could always use help on, on defense even with how electric their offense is. I think you know just like we said with the 49ers taking a receiver at 13 could be a little bit of you know adding to something that was already extremely successful the year before. But um, I think you know adding a guy like J.K. Dobbins could just take that offense to to an, a higher even higher level.
1: Yeah, Club. the only thing I would disagree with and push back with there is that Damian Williams, although he did do really well last year, I don't think he's a starting running back in the NFL mm-hmm. if you want to have, you know. Well, no, and a, then
0: there's always, you know, the, the value of taking a running back in, in round one totally. conversation. That's kind of what I was yeah. framing it around, but I, 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 would, uh, I think that it would be a, a good pick.
1: My whole, my whole thing, though, is that similar to the offensive line, at running back, not a lot of people are talking about this, but I'll say it, there are, kind of are a big four, you know, when you talk about mm-hmm. Dobbins, Taylor, Hilaire, and Swift. Those are kind of the four guys that you can have the Zach Moss conversation or Cam Akers conversation, and as much as I like those other guys, they simply don't have the resume of the other four guys, and those four guys are most likely to be getting picked first. And with the Chiefs, with the way the draft lines up, you're picking at 32 and then 64. So, you know, if you don't get that running back at 32, who knows if all four will be available available at 64. You've got to believe that, you know, These guys being the – I know running back may not be the most valuable position, but in terms of just an all-around, you know, effective football player big board, these guys are in the top 25. All four of them are probably in the top 25 or 30 of of just straight football players in this class, I would say, Um, in in Taylor, Dobbins, Hilaire, and and Swift. So, you know, it would be a shame for them to miss out on one of those guys at 64 if they didn't take them at 32. So I think they might be kind of pigeonholed into – Overdrafting on a guy like Dobbins. But I ultimately think that it would work wonders for their offense because I just think in Dobbins you're getting a younger, more effective Damian Williams with a little bit more pop. And you can still give Damian Williams carries um, and let Dobbins kind of learn under him. Damian Williams made similar type of play style at 5'11", 220. So um, I think that might be an interesting situation. And you bring Dobbins into a situation where all this guy's done is won in college and you bring him into a winning system where he can get the football around good players Um, I think it'd just be a great situation for him. Not that you said it would be a bad one, but
0: did you uh, did you have one more luxury pick?
1: Um, Yes, I did. I had one more luxury pick, but I kind of got cold feet on it because uh, (laughs) I kind of got cold feet on it because it was another receiver, and I didn't want to uh, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do to do receiver. So
0: okay, that's fine. We can we can move on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's.
0: So let's move on to, you know, lastly, we've been just dissecting a few teams that we find to be in interesting positions going into this draft. And especially kind of when you frame it in the round one conversation, uh, Lee, if you don't mind looking up the, the New Orleans Saints roster mm-hmm. and taking a peek and just tell me overall, like what position you think would be the most likely for them to draft uh, in, in the first round. Without a doubt, middle linebacker. Okay. Just at, because- at twenty-four, and and okay, and then I guess mm-hmm. if, with with that being your selection, um, do, would it be Patrick Queen or Kenneth Murray? Do you think both of them would be there at that point? Do you think I there's think a good chance? I think one of chance? them will be there.
1: Okay. I think one of them will be there. Yeah, and I, I just I
0: just thought like looking at the Saints, man, like I could see them at at twenty-four. I feel like they're one of the most unpredictable teams. Um, i over i think that you know their offensive line is really good i think offensive line is out of the question i think tight end you you could see them add there but i don't think the the, the tight end class is not very good this year Whether you're not going to take a first round pick there but uh, getting a, a second wide receiver i don't think is, is out of the question adding you know a guy on the interior of the line you know to kind of build strength on strength i don't think is out of the question i agree with you that while, you know, middle linebacker, you know, adding a linebacker would be good for them. You know, Demario Davis is, is a pretty good player. Alex Anzalone ha- has held his own as well. Um, so, you know, I think those are two guys that are there. And I think even adding, you know, a second cornerback, they, they had to trade late in the year for Janoris Jenkins. I don't know if they think he's, an, he's a long-term answer. He, he was kind of struggling towards... They lost Eli you know, Apple, too. They lost Eli Apple. So I feel like mm-hmm. taking a corner, I
1: mean, there's like four positions that that, that the Saints could go in. Yeah, I just think that based on the way the board is, I have a hard time seeing Queen or Murray not being there, uh, specifically Queen, who played his college ball in Baton Rouge not far away, um, and kind of just that Levante David type of athletic linebacker who makes plays in coverage and also gets gritty downhill. Um, Kiko Alonzo's been effective for the Saints and kind of had a second career there that's been pretty sturdy, but... Between injuries and him, you know, nearly being 30 years old, by the time season kicks off, he'll be 30. I think that that's an absolutely pressing issue that they need to address in the middle of their defense. Um, and, and if that, re- I, I would go as far as to say, if that requires them moving up in the draft, if they test the waters and a guy like Kenneth Murray gets plucked at 15 or you know 12 to the Raiders or Broncos, then hey, they got to move up and get Queen because I think linebacker is kind of the missing piece to make this team. A little bit more complete and I think that's the reason they signed Emmanuel Sanders um, so, so that they could allow themselves a little breathing room to maybe get a more developmental receiver later in the draft um, and, and figure out the defense in the first round.
0: So let me put you on the spot here again then. Um, you know the Saints they stick at 24 um, but let's say Kenneth Murray get, gets plucked up first because is the first linebacker to go um, and let's say Christian Fulton and C.J. Henderson both get drafted after Okuda and you're sitting there at 24, Jeff Gladney's there, Patrick Queen's there. Who are you picking?
1: I'd take Patrick Queen. Okay. Because although I think Gladney may be a little bit of a better prospect, I don't think it's by that much, even if it is, and, I, and linebacker's a bigger need. Okay, fair enough. I'd, I'd, and I think Queen would fit in really well in this defense with those athletic linebackers. Like I just think he, you plug him in right in the middle. And he would fit in in that defense in that division. You got those linebackers that, you know, I mentioned already mentioned Levante David, and then you, they brought in Devin White last year from LSU. And uh, you know, Keekly just retired. I know, but th- that that division's definitely got a reputation for those athletic linebackers. Who's the guy in uh, in Atlanta too?
0: Deion oh, Jones. Deion Jones. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So I-, I think that'd be a good move for for New Orleans.
0: Yeah, but I mean, and then let's let's just throw this out here too, Lee. Mm. percentage chance they, they take a quarterback, in, say, in the first two days of this draft? Um, or do you think that they like Taysom Hill?
1: I'd say 70% to be the chance.
0: Okay. Like, what if a guy like Jordan Love is there at 24? Uh, and I know, I, I know, I know we yeah. probably need to get into the QB room a little bit before we start yeah, talking yeah. about these guys like that, but just in terms of what you hear about hey, Jordan hey, Love and, and the Saints.
1: If, if if you, who am I to say, if the Saints, you know, if you have a first-round grade on him, which they very well could, and you think you can bring him in, and by the time Breeze retires, he can take the reins, you know, and he's got that high upside that a lot of people see. I personally am jaded, you know. Um, Jordan Love is kind of my lock of this year. Drew Locke. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't like him. I'm not a fan of his. I think if I definitely need to get in the weeds a little bit more but I'd probably put like a third mid third maybe fourth round grade on him and I can kind of see where the upside is but I don't think those mistakes are, are are too fixable at this point and I think that there are other quarterbacks out there who want a little bit more attention who aren't aren't getting it so but but you know not to diverge from the conversation I think the Saints are absolutely a candidate to 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 be in conversation to take a guy like Love at 24 or from or Easton in the second round
0: Cool. Uh, you had a? Did you have a team that you wanted to go over for a minute?
1: Yeah, we're going to stay in the playoffs, and we're going to stay in the NFC, and we're going to go to the team that beat the New Orleans Saints in the playoffs, and that's the Minnesota Vikings, um, who, aforementioned on this podcast, traded away Stephon Diggs and have the twenty-second and twenty-fifth pick, respectively, this year in the in the draft in the first round. Um, and this is a team that is really they got to take a long, hard look in the mirror because me as a Lions fan, if I think the Lions have a chance at competing for this division from the bottom of my heart, which I genuinely do objectively, then the Vikings better darn well think they have a a chance at competing for this division, even with trading Stephon Diggs away. Um, And in order to do that, they don't have a lot of breathing room to make mistakes. Um, This is a team that could use help on the offensive line, just traded arguably their best receiver away, uh, lost... The bulk of their cornerbacks, Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes uh, and Xavier Rhodes, all in free agency, so they have no one at corner except for Mike Hughes, who was mentioned on this podcast earlier, slow as 40 in the past, you know, five years to be drafted in the first round. He's um, 20 years. 20 years, yeah. He's 23. (laughs) At least until until the
0: 40 times started. Around 2002, it started to become spotty to find uh, 40 times for these
1: guys, but... Yeah. Hughes has been solid, but he's nowhere near a one. And then Yeah, you it also Nate had an Medders. injury, too. Nate Meadors is your second-best corner. You know, and, and I'm seeing this team, yeah. like, I don't know if you maybe consider packaging 22 and 25, and if you see a guy like Okuda falling, do you, do you try to make an attempt to move up and get Okuda? Because can you make an argument that if you have a bona fide number one cornerback on this defense that it... It would be more valuable than bringing in uh, even a Jeff Gladney and a Justin Jefferson. Yeah, but I mean, the
0: thing is too, Lee. I look on this defense, and it's like I see holes along the defensive line as well. I mean, Everson Griffin is gone. You didn't even mention him in terms of the mass exodus that this defense. Linval Joseph is gone. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So it's like in terms of you know a guy opposite Daniel Hunter who is one of the best edge rushers in the NFL but i mean you're looking at a a lack of talent for sure on this defense which is the first time you've been able to say that in a while about the Minnesota Vikings Bo
1: had a really good year last year i will say mhm so i mean he did it's have a good it's, year
0: it's interesting but i mean you could also see them going in a direction to to shore up that offensive line a little bit more which i definitely think they need to do mhm um so I guess so. What is your uh, what is your question that you're asking me, if you have one? Should...
1: I'm just. It's not necessarily a question. It's just that this is a big, huge. This is a huge off season for the Vikings, and I think this is do or die. This is their window right here. This draft will define their window, I think. And if they can get an effective receiver to pair, I the fact that they signed Tajay Sharp makes me think that they're not going to go receiver and they're going to rely. I don't on know how to,
0: much of a. Boost that is. But they though.
1: have they have BC Johnson who's twenty three. They drafted him, you know, two years ago or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you know he's not necessarily a high profile. Also yeah, like got Tommy's boy Dylan Mitchell from <laughs> Oregon. They think the world of all the BC Johnson, from what uh-huh. I've heard. And you know, you you bolstered the line a little bit last year. You definitely can address it more, but I think defense is where you need to go with both picks in the first round. Is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, well,
0: I mean, like we were talking about the maybe. You know, while this receive the 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 value in this receiver class might be in that second round when you come around and mm-hmm. pick fifty eight, and you can get a guy like Mike. You know, I, I keep saying his name because I, I I love him so much, and that's Michael Pittman. Yeah, uh, you know. So it's like, what's preventing you from getting a guy like him at fifty eight? I mean, would you rather have Justin Jefferson at twenty five or Michael Pittman at fifty eight?
1: Definitely Pittman at fifty eight. I know, and the, you get to too deep, so it's yeah. like
0: I. That's where that's where I kind of end up. So maybe if you take a guy, uh, maybe you get a uh, you know a corner like Jeff Gladney at 22, and then you, you turn around right at pick 25 and, and add, uh, you know, I guess you already have Anthony Barr, but maybe you even add a Patrick Queen or maybe you, you go go in, the, yeah.
1: Uh... Epanesa would be a good pick for them, man. Or or
0: what if you get you know Yeter Grossmattos at 22. Mm-hmm. And then you can add, maybe you can even get Gladney again at 25 if you don't think the Patriots or Saints will go well, in that, that direction. it would be a
1: home run for them if they came home with Grossmanos and Gladney out of the first yeah. round. That would be something. So,
0: I, I don't know. It'll, I think I, I kind of agree with you, Lee, while well, maybe the general consensus is saying wide receiver at 22 and 25, if you just spend both of those picks on defense. Yeah. I you know Or, you know, again, like you said, what do you think, I mean, how high, I guess, would you say they could get if they package both of those picks? Like, where, where do you think they could get to?
1: Like, could they get to seven? I think they could get to seven.
0: Because if you were the Panthers, I guess, to go to our Trade Talk podcast, like, yeah. you, would, you would accept a trade
1: to move from um, maybe seven maybe to twenty. 20- straight up, but I think they could add a little accoutrement from next year, maybe, in, mm-hmm. in, a, in a later pick from this year. Or maybe nine with the Jags. Um I think they could get up there though. I think it puts them in the conversation, that package deal. It's definitely an enticing deal with the way that this draft may shape up by the time who knows what the board's going to look like Clay, by the time someone's picking at 9 and that 22 and 25 may look a lot less enticing at that time, it may look a lot more. So yeah. the value is always changing, but if they can you know package those together and move up and see a guy sliding maybe it's not a great idea, but I think uh, I think it might serve them well to get kind of a superstar in their defense. Is what I mean in the, in the no, secondary. No, and I
0: agree with you. And I think that you know they potentially have you know the ammo with those two first round picks to move up without sacrificing something in their future. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know it's, but then it's going to be like if there's maybe if there's someone worth moving up to that the team in the top ten might just want to take them.
1: Yep. Yeah, or absolutely. even
0: even you know at maybe moving into you know a little bit outside the top ten. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it'd be hard for me though for like a team like the Cardinals or the Panthers or even the Jags who need to add blue chip talent to take the risk to move all the way back to to those two picks. Would just, I think, be be a big
1: risk. I think if you're a team like the Jags, you already have 20. And I don't know, maybe it's been a reoccurring theme with me, but I just don't value the top end of the draft as much. When you get to pick nine, kind of, depending on, I guess, how the board falls. But obviously, I love Derek Brown as much as the next guy. But if Brown isn't there, you know, and assuming Simmons and Okuda aren't there, and you're stuck in a position where it's either Kinlaw or an offensive lineman or a corner, that might be a great, a great move for you. Yeah, and you especially know?
0: where it's like you've drafted you, Juwan Taylor, you drafted Cam Robinson, both solid tackles, so you don't need to dip into the, you know, whoever's yeah. there at tackle. And One of
1: those late 20 picks could even turn into a quarterback for you if you're the Jacks. Yeah. Maybe you take love if you like him at 20. Yeah, and, and, and then you and feel then
0: got... some security there in, in the sense that you have yep. those other two picks behind. And since you do have a top 10 pick, I feel like you might be able to get a little more out of the Vikings. Maybe their third-round compensatoria that I know the Vikings have. Maybe they That might be a little rich to give up all that, but maybe next year's third. Yeah, and you can say, hey, you know, since we're moving out of the top ten and, and you know, completely out of the teams as a whole, we want your next round next year third.
1: Yeah. And,
0: and I think that's who...
1: a, I think the Jags should be looking to stock picks. I think they absolutely should be looking to stock picks. And if they can get out of the first round with like, you know, I don't know, like McKinney, Epineza for me, not for you. And, 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 uh, and if you're the uh, and Jags. Arnette.
0: And, and if you're the Jags, maybe you don't want to take anybody that's too good because any player that's been worth a damn that's worn your uniform for the past five years has wanted out. Yeah, so. honestly.
1: <laughs> maybe it's just time. Maybe it's just time to move to London. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> pack it up.
0: Take some B players. Stop trying to hit home runs with, with Yannick and Gakway. Yeah. Um, He's going to yeah. be gone too. Yep. So. Uh, man, right. another another good uh, another good another discussion, tank, man. Baby. It's uh